Before we get into the episode, we want to let you know we are gathering another Attaching to God learning cohort. In it, you will escape your anxious jungles and avoiding deserts of faith and grow into secure attachment with God and with others. This is a one-of-a-kind six-week cohort combining recorded teachings and live cohort calls. So you can get all the details at embodiedfaith.life slash learning dash cohorts or see the show notes for details after the description. Hey there, is there a difference between mindfulness and contemplative prayer? Some people get the two confused. Sometimes they get conflated and contemplative prayer be not only beneficial to your spiritual life, but could it actually have mental health benefits? That's what we're talking about today. And as always, I am Dr. Jeff Holsklaw, and this is the Embodied Faith Podcast brought to you by Grassroots Christianity, where we're seeking to grow the faith of everyday people. So today I'm really excited that we have I have uh, a friend who used to live in Grand Rapids with me, AJ Sherrill. He is uh, he has been a lead pastor for over two decades in churches uh, across the country from Southern California, which I won't hold against him since I was raised in Northern California, all the way to New York, and he's currently serving in St. Peter's Church in Mount Pleasant. He teaches courses on preaching and the Enneagram and other things at Floor Seminary and does lots of workshops. AJ, welcome to the show. Uh, so good to see you again, Jeff. How you doing, my friend? Oh, pretty good. So the, the funny thing, we were talking about this right before we press play, is that um, you and I were had a scheduled lunch for like, I think, like the <laughs> beginning of March on 2020. And then all of a sudden we're like, no, there's there's no restaurants open. There's nothing happening. Like everything got shut down. And then and then, you know, and then there's a global pandemic. We're all like running around as pastors, local church pastors. We're running around for a whole year, like chickens with their heads cut off. And then all of a sudden I look up and on Instagram, I see I was like, AJ is living in in where? He's not even around anymore. He's not suffering through these winters <laughs> in Grand Rapids with me. No, he's in South Carolina. And oh my goodness. So, anyways, yeah. so at least we could hang out and meet virtually but we're here to talk about your new book uh being with god if you're watching on video here is a picture of it being with god uh and the subtitle is the absurdity the necessity and the neurology of contemplative prayer so how did you just personally before we get into things how did you get into this kind of contemplative prayer stream what what happened yeah we're good you know evangelical fundamentalist and read your bible (laughs) And prayed, you know, I, but now now you're doing all this mysticism stuff. I came to Jesus uh, through really faithful evangelical churches growing up, um, and you know I, I think so much so much of the Christian journey is working our way through the great tradition and stumbling upon, upon Jesus in so many different streams of the Christian faith throughout the world. And I remember I came across contemplation through failure. Uh, typically, there's some sort of crisis or failure where what's worked for you in the past uh, in your faith, like no longer sort of works in the same way, that there are other streams that God is inviting you into that are a little bit um, maybe deeper and more robust than where you've been before. And for me, that was contemplative prayer because I was I was uh, deeming myself as a failure in the world of church planting in my 20s when I was living in Southern California. Up until that point, I had just everything was up and to the right, growing ministry, in my 20s, I was leading things that were had thousands of people coming to it. 
And then all of a sudden when I planted a church, it was like, you know, I parachuted in, which basically means you go into a new city without any relationships and you try to plant a church. And it like failed for all intents and purposes of how we define success from like human metrics. And I realized in that season, I didn't know how to pray. And as like a really unhealthy Enneagram three at the time, which means like achievement and success were sort of my um, Achilles heels. Um, I realized my super, my spirituality was pretty superficial. It was about getting stuff from God, uh, God rewarding me, uh, sort of having a quid pro quo, God, I'm doing this for you. And so you do that for me. I didn't know that, but that was sort of the, the subconscious script of my faith. And, um, I met a guy out in Southern California who started to sort of like complete sentences that I didn't have language for, but I had sort of intuited that there has to be a deeper way of following Jesus than just getting stuff. And so, um, I started to really pour over Thomas Merton. Um, I got really into, um, uh, uh, oh, uh, Thomas Keating, David Benner, and just started discovering this whole pathway of learning to rest and to be and to find my identity, not through achievement, but through stillness and receiving, not through achieving. Um, and so it's, since then, it's been a 15-year journey up until that point. And so this book was sort of um, one of the things that came out of that. And so, uh, so yeah, it's been a, a great um, failure can sometimes be our greatest friend. And so it has been in my life in terms of discovering God in this way. Amen. That is so true. Um, so what is, we'll just start with a brief definition. What is contemplative prayer? What is that? Yeah, I think it's sort of piercing through the noise and the uh, activity long enough um, to allow ourselves to rest in God's love. Um, we often rest in God's approval, and which requires continuous action. And the beautiful thing of the gospel is that God's decision to love us um, was chosen long before we even took our first breath. So what does it mean to return to that space every day so that I work from a sense of identity and belovedness and not for belovedness? So to, to live from belovedness is sort of the goal of contemplation, which means that we have to pierce through all the noise and all the work and all the strain in order to just simply rest in the presence of God um, and know who we are in that space. Well, let's talk about the, the piercing it through, piercing through stuff. So you you talk about the first part of your book about um, the absurdity of contemplative prayer uh, is that it's kind of absurd in our culture. So why is it crazy? Why is it this crazy practice that maybe we should attempt to do? What makes it so hard? Well, a lot of the scripts in which we follow are Western cultural scripts. And that's not to say they're all wrong, but it is to say that there is a achievement orientation, a production orientation, a sense of stay busy, time is money, go fast, neutral goes nowhere. Um, these sorts of scripts that get woven into our neurology and our sort of way of being. And so that can kind of drift subtly into our spiritual lives as well. And that certainly is what happened to me in my 20s uh, and still creeps up in my life today. Um, so, you know, when that's our cultural script, like I'll give you an example, a great metaphor is, uh, in July of 2019, uh, the lights went out in Times Square. JLo was doing a show at Madison Square Garden. And so 70,000 people stumble into the darkness of Times Square in New York city with their cell phone lights to illumine the way. And, you know, the headline was like, how crazy is this? How weird the lights went out in Times Square. And as I reflected on that headline, I remember asking myself, like, is it weird that the lights went out or is it weirder that we expect the lights always to be on? Because that's what you expect at 4 p.m. in Times Square. You expect lights. It's what you expect at 4 a.m. 
You expect lights. You expect the lights to always be on. And it seems like that's a great metaphor for our lives. Like we just run in such a pace, in such a way where we're always on. And so to actually like really um, counter that and have a resistance to that and to do, practice some values that go in a different direction, it, it, it's, it's seen as equally as absurd. Uh, so the absurdity we would say of Times Square, uh, when we begin to practice a different orientation toward the world, um, that is seen as equally as absurd because it seems like there's opportunity cost in that in that framework. So then why why is contemplation in your view so essential then? Yeah, I think it slows or us down. Ne- necessary, I guess. It slows us down to get us in touch with um, our sort of true desires, what it is that we really long for where flourishing really takes place and happens, where shalom can be pursued and actually apprehended um, or accessed rather. So um, I I think that if we don't practice these ways of stillness, silence, and solitude um, and lean into this other way, uh, I think we end up sort of working ourselves into uh, a pretty anxious life. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so I, I think it's critical, especially in... I mean, even yesterday I was watching a BBC, uh, I love their little, their little vids. They do these three minute vignettes or so at the bottom of their homepage. And this one was basically talking about mental health in the UK, that the reports pre pandemic were like 1.7 million referrals every year to this, you know, their main agency for mental health. And they expect it to triple this year in terms of referrals. And that's pretty significant. And so I think what the pandemic revealed to us, isn't that like, wow, good thing we all slowed down now that, you know, COVID happened and as bad as it's been, at least there's been some silver lining with slowing our lives down. And what it's revealed as we have slowed externally in some ways, internally, we are just as revved up and exhausted and our telomeres and our DNA, all these things are are just shredded. Our cortisol levels are shot through the roof. Um, When it comes to our adrenal glands, they're exhausted. And we find ourselves like inwardly frenetic as ever, worried about the future, stuck in the past and wanting a different sort of experience in our present. And Mm -hmm. so it's creating all sorts of mischief that I think contemplative prayer is actually one of the ways God has wired us to sort of rewire our neural circuits and to regulate our breathing, which has everything to do with our heart rhythm and has everything to do with stress levels and cortisol Mm -hmm. production, all of these things, it's all connected. And I think that's one of the tragedies of a lot of Western evangelicalism, though I would still consider myself a part of that tribe, is that we've made spirituality such a a separate sort of sphere of everyday life rather than connected with our bodies and with the world. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's why um, that's why we're talking about these things is how can we have an embodied faith that takes all these things seriously? Uh, and then specifically, how can we learn from the best of neuroscience and neurology and brain science and all this, how our nervous systems works and things like that. So we're going to get to the breathing question, but uh, for everyone who's watching, you can uh, ask questions, whether you're on YouTube or Facebook. So if you have comments or questions, please feel free to jump in. Uh, But I want to get to this difference, which was super important. I'm so glad you brought this up in your book is you made a distinction and a relationship between mindfulness and contemplation. Yeah, Uh, Because I think sometimes that gets conflated or people just kind of, they say one, but they actually mean the other. So could you talk about the difference uh, and the connection between mindfulness and contemplation? Yeah, What is mindfulness to start off with roughly? I mean, lots of people use it in different ways. Yeah. And to frame it, I think a lot of Christians are suspicious of contemplation because of sort of Eastern mindfulness that they conflate with. And I'm really grateful that a lot of corporations have started to see like mindfulness as a way to 
help their employees. You know, it comes from the secular sphere. It's not something that has overtly Christian uh, undertones. However, like contemplation is a whole different sort of thing that is historically rooted. Uh, I, I see it in Jesus and Paul. I also obviously see it in Desert Fathers. Mindfulness um, for me is what I have learned about it, um, which isn't all bad. So there's no like stones being thrown here. Um, but I think it only gets us like halfway down the field. Mindfulness, I think, is the um, the 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 pursuit to release, the pursuit to let go, um, all of the things that we're sort of stuck in um, that even corporations see that's causing stress and anxiety. How do we have certain practices that help us let go of those things? You know, when it comes to some of the Eastern traditions outside of the Christian faith, not the Eastern Orthodox Church, but the Eastern traditions. And those religions, um, a lot of life comes down to desirelessness. So mindfulness is sort of in rhythm of that is helping you let go of ego, letting go of desire, some of these things. And what contemplation does is it gets us the other halfway down the field that the goal of Christian contemplation isn't just to let go of disordered desires. The goal is to reattach, not just to detach. It's to reattach to ultimate desire that is um, in accordance with the kingdom of God, which like I'll give you an example scripturally, like Jesus would instruct his disciples in John 15 to abide, to remain. Um, there's a sense of like um, reattaching to Christ in a way that we derive our identity from. So when we go to contemplate, we're not looking to sort of detach into the sort of ambiguity of spirituality or just our true selves or something like that. We're actually looking to attach to reality, which we believe is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the King of the universe, the son of man, the son of God, risen, exalted and returning again. And so that's a different thing. And that's one of those, um, I think it's a moment for Christians to say, oh yeah, yeah, we, we get mindfulness. Yeah, yeah, there's some good things to that. Oh, by the way, there's more to it. There's really so much more for us to find our identity and live from a sense of rootedness. It's not just detachment. It's a sense of reattachment to ultimate reality. Mm. Oh, I love that. Well, here uh, again in uh, Being With God, uh, AJ's new book uh, on page 31, you just give these uh, kind of contrasts. I'm just going to read them because I just think they're really helpful. And, if we, and then we can move on or you can kind of elaborate even more. But he's, you say, mindfulness aims to empty one's mind. Contemplation aims to fill one's mind. Mindfulness centers on self-focus. Contemplation centers on spirit focus. And again, these aren't, you're not being negative. You're just kind of being descriptive. Uh, and then you continue and you say, uh, mindfulness uh, helps participants get rid of the desires for harmful things, whereas contemplation recenters participation on ultimate things or desires on ultimate things. Mindfulness is primarily about a detachment of ego. And contemplation is primarily about attachment to Christ. And then lastly, mindfulness seeks to release and contemplation seeks to abide. And I think that's really important because I've seen a lot of um, a lot of people, um, and maybe this will start sounding critical, but people are on deconstructive journeys and they'll talk about adopting, you know, prayer, a prayer practice of mindfulness, which I don't think is bad. Uh, but then they're basically saying, well, this is my Christian spirituality now is now mm -hmm. I'm practicing mindfulness. And I'm always like, that's super important. But are you are you praying to a God who also speaks back? Are you listening to the one who is engaged with our reality? Are you being attached and are your desires being transformed? Uh, you know, I deal with uh, some of the youth, you know, the youth and families at our church. And, you know, and we try to do contemplative practices. <clears throat> but I'm also like, 
we need to do mindfulness practices because these these youth have such busy brains that yeah. they don't even know what their own thoughts are. And so it's impossible for them to even believe or notice God's thoughts that might be yeah. coming to them, right? And so these two practices need to work together, which I know is what you're saying, uh, but, th- but they're not the same thing. So I just thought it was really helpful that you brought that up. So about contemplative prayer, uh, you say, <laughs> this made me laugh because I, I went straight to Shrek. So I read this sentence. You said, <laughs> you said prayer is like an onion. And then I went straight to Shrek and I was like, what, does it make you cry? Does it smell? It's like, cause contemplative prayer is hard for me. So that's, I was like onions, but really you just meant it has like layers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in which we, we could have gone with a parfait or something like that. But you say that contemplative <laughs> prayer is like two things. <clears throat> you say it's like a flowing river, but it's also like a deep sea dive. Can you kind mm-hmm. of, um, kind of unpack those metaphors. How is prayer, contemplative prayer, it's kind of like being in a flowing river. Yeah. Um, can I say one thing before we get into that? Oh, sure. As long as it's about Shrek. Let me go back to students real quick because I'm oh, okay, so sure. passionate about emerging generations, about the implications of the metaverse, about what's happening in our attention spans. Uh, there's this really nugget phrase. I forget the woman. The, she's a incredible, I think she's a psychiatrist and I'm just not being able to place her name in this moment. But she's she uses Jean this tweege because she's the iGen kind of author. Is it not her? Did, is she the one that coined the phrase continuous partial attention? Oh, I don't know. Oh, that my goodness. Good too. I got to write that down. Oh, it's so good. And, and when we talk about not just students, but 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 AJ, <laughs> when we talk about um, adulting, um, we have continuous partial attention. And really contemplation, I think, is rewiring our neural circuits to focus on one thing again, to, mm-hmm. to sort of narrow ourselves in and to be able to be in one place at one time rather than trying to be at six places at the same time. And um, and I think God deserves that. I, I'm not trying to put like some sort of religious should on someone. I think we have an incredible creator God. I mean, it, Imagine being on a date with the one you love and just continuously being partially attuned. It's so obvious mm-hmm. and it's so disrespectful. Um, and here we have the creator of the universe who's like always welcoming, me up, uh, welcoming us to a seat at the table. And we're just so scattered in so many different ways. And some of that is we're a victim to our sort of technological moment. But we are also ones that are willingly signing up for these things. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I just think that's something we need to pay attention to in all of this. Back to your question. Um, I, I love the imagery of this river. So I always tell people, imagine yourself if you're walking into like the intro steps of contemplative prayer, because all the questions are like, what are we doing? Is this working? All those sorts of real questions that come out of a Western framework. And, um, I always say, okay, imagine yourself when you go to sit, um, begin with scripture and, uh, select a passage out of the gospels, you know, or out of whatever, and, um, allow that to just ruminate in your head. And then just after you've chewed on it and rest and Alexia Divina or whatever your practices you do with scripture, um, rest in the presence of God and imagine yourself on this raft as it's flowing down the river and you're looking at the banks and you're seeing really compelling, beautiful things, right? You see a friend, a, a group of friends on the bank and they have a fire going and they're hanging out. And then as you continue down the river, you see some other friends or something compelling happening in nature. And you could get off at any point on this river raft and uh, like attend those things. But the goal is to say those are good and those are true and real. But what's even better is to stay right where I am because it flows straight into the heart of God. And so what it does is it takes all of the thoughts that you're having that aren't bad thoughts. They're just, you know, emails to check 
to-do items, things you need to accomplish today, conversations that are unfinished. Some of them are really beautiful and good, but it's that reminder in the morning, but I'm called to be here right now for the next 10 minutes and then just attune myself to the presence of God. And then I will get to those other things on the bank of the river. But right now I need to flow because it's going mm. straight into the heart of God. So that's one image I tell people because it's so hard with our frontal lobes. They're just taking us all over the place um, in terms of our to-do list and things that we want to get done for the day when we begin to sit in the presence of God. So that's one thing you can do. Another thing is I like to imagine myself, imagine going out on a deep sea dive. You have weights on your uh, on your body to bring you down to the seafloor. And as you go down to the seafloor, there's nothing there. It's dark, it's vacuous, um, and you're just resting in the presence of God. There's nothing to do. There's not a lot to see. But you'll notice like if you've ever looked up from like the bottom of a pool or the bottom of the ocean, you've been far down or whatever, you can see the sun coming through. And so you can see all these boats passing. What happens is when we begin to follow our train of thought and when we're praying, but we have this other idea that comes into mind. And so all of a sudden we find ourselves thinking about our to-do list or whatever. It's like we've gone back up to the surface and we've gotten into one of those boats. And um, the invitation is to gently have grace on yourself, release and sink back to the ocean floor where God is present and you can solely just be with God in that space. And so I find these visual imageries really helpful for people because it just slowly, like that onion, it takes us layer by layer down into the experience of being in the presence of God. And uh, there's other things you can do in terms of a, you know, a prayer word or breathing and all that stuff that's really helpful as well. But imagery is really important for us. We're an image-based culture. And so having visuals of what we're doing and what we're hoping to accomplish is really helpful to stay sort of true to this practice. Mm, totally. And the good thing about your book is, uh, just so everybody knows, is that each chapter ends with a specific kind of practice that you kind of set up that people can try out and try on for these different kinds of things. So it's a lot of practical kind of application in this, which is really important. Well, let's talk about one of those practical things. And this is where it kind of gets straight into some of the, the neuroscience and things, uh, particularly around breathing. Uh, you talk about uh, the necessity of kind of engaging and remembering breathing, how breathing is so important to us as a physical organism. So could you go through that a little bit, kind of the physical uh, aspect as well as the kind of uh, the spiritual and contemplative kind of view to, uh, and uses of breathing? Yeah, I mean, I think breath is so central to what it means to be human. And if you think about the beginning and the end of someone's life, the first thing that the medical staff are doing when a baby is born is they check its breathing. You know, it, it, that is the first thing you want to know that a child is doing is the baby breathing, right? The last thing that we do when someone is on their deathbed <clears throat> is we pay attention to their breathing. And when their breathing stops and they have that final exhale, we believe that the soul has left the body and will be one day reunited with the perfect body. And so breath from its very beginning, even in scripture with the Ruach HaKodesh, you know, and the breath of God coming into the nostrils of, of the human. From the very beginning, breath is so central. And even in the Gospels, when Jesus dies on the cross, it says, and he took his final breath. And so we see that breath is a very integral part of what it means to be human, of what it means to know the biblical story and to live fully. And I think it's really important throughout the course of our day. I mean, you're going to take 20,000 breaths today, and you're probably not going to think about one of them there's a signal in your brain that's telling you to do it it's incredible the way we've been made so you have about 600 million alveoli sacs in your lungs these are the receptors that trap oxygen and actually bring it to your bloodstream we live our lives hunched over computers and 
doing these sorts of activities to where we're not actually allowing all of those alveoli to receive oxygen. So what happens is you're stuck with about a third of yesterday's carbon dioxide typically in your lungs. So breathing in and out really fully. Now you can't do that all day because we just can't stay that intentional, intentional with just breathing. We have other things to do, but to take 10 minutes at the beginning and or the end of your day to just allow yourself to breathe that in and out, it, it clears all that carbon dioxide out. It's allowing you to get full access to your alveoli that's giving your brain its coherence. Your brain <clears throat> runs on electricity. That electricity is fueled by your oxygen level. So if you're not giving good oxygen to your brain, you're not maximizing your brain coherence in order to think well, be creative, be non-reactive. Your brain doesn't operate on full capacity if you're not actually breathing in a way that allows your brain to have maximal electrical current in it. So it's amazing to me just how integral breathing is. It also regulates your heart rhythm. Your heart wants to follow your breathing pattern in terms of how it is beating quickly or slowly. And so that's why we take slow breaths at the beginning of the day, because it constrict or actually expands our pupils. It doesn't constrict them into like narrow tunnel vision. And it allows us to focus. It allows us to actually be in a spot where we can um, have coherence in life. And so I love to talk about breath with people, number one, because it's one of the ways that the Holy Spirit is known as breath, but that God breathes that into us and that it's free. We don't earn it. We don't have to do anything for breath. Um, it's given freely. And what does it mean to, to sort of um, dial in with our humanity so fundamentally that um, we get in contact with our breathing at the beginning of the day? Um, I connect my prayer life to my breathing at the beginning of the day, regulates heart rhythm, helps brain coherence, all these things happening in the body. Breath is such a beginning stage for. Oh, that's great. Uh, and, and like you said, it is such a, a huge theme in scriptures. Uh, and really kind of all <clears throat> cultures have taken breathing seriously. This is what yeah. the more I've been diving into neuroscience um, so much, I've realized so much that this is about like the Bible and reading the Psalms, but just that ancient cultures weren't dumb. <laughs> That's kind of yes. my way of summarizing. It's like chronological man, snobbery. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, all ancient cultures and spiritual practices knew that breathing was important. Now, did they know exactly why? No, but they knew it was important, right? It's just, it's us and our, in our, in our wisdom of modernity that just feels like, no, you can go, go, go. You never need to rest. You know, you, we can find other ways to take care of our breathing, but you know, we come up with all these other solutions that, you know, and everyone's always known for the dawn of, of humanity. Breathing's really important. Like you should slow down. You should take a couple of deep breaths. It's like, oh my gosh. So, so I'm like what, a big basketball fan and there's this great story of the who's, who's your team. Who's your team? Really? Oh, you know, I, I don't really care. If I you say the Warriors, it's going to break my heart. Even though I'm from, Curry, I'm from the Bay area. Watching Curry is like joy. I mean, it's so, it's so much okay, joy well, that's to watch him. I just like to watch like whether it's a concert pianist or whether it's a chef or what, whatever someone's doing to watch people oh, at yeah. their highest capacity. So um, the neuroscience, the neuropsychologist that I've done a lot of work with, um, he does a lot of work with uh, professional teams and uh, professional golfers and people of this sort of ilk. And he's got this uh, player for the Clippers who um, was on the all-star team and he was working with in terms of maximizing brain coherence. And there's this rule in the NBA that when you take a free throw, once the referee gives you the ball, you can only throw it back to the referee once. And then he'll throw it back to you to take the free throw. If you throw it back twice, you lose your privilege and the ball goes to the other team. 
So this player, I did not even know that. (laughs) So this is hilarious. So, so what, 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 um, what, what my doctor would tell him is make sure you throw the ball back to the referee one time, because what you want to do is get more breath in before you take your free throw and get, you'll, you'll notice a lot of players now before they take free throws. I noticed this with Antetokounmpo, they're taking very deep breaths at the free throw line. And what's happening is they're gathering themselves. They're allowing their oxygen to, you know, sort of restabilize their muscles, but it's, it's allowing their eyes to focus. Mm. It's increasing their brain coherence to channel. And cause you've got fans behind the glass, behind the, the, the goal that are trying to get your attention and trying to distract you. And what breathing does is it allows your pupils to focus in on the rim. It's amazing how connected mm. it all is. And so I say that as an example of how to integrate this stuff, whether you're writing or whether you're about to take a golf swing, whatever you're doing, breath is one of those ways that really help us focus when we're so scattered. Um, And it actually makes our pupils uh, move in such a way that we can focus on one thing. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great. And we could, um, we could dive into that even more. I was just thinking, you know, like deep breaths like that, you know, someone playing a sport, you know, and then they have a break in the action. So it's a free throw like deep breaths like that. Basically, you're trying to move your body from a fight or flight kind of yeah. hyper um, uh, sympathetic kind of response, sympathetic yes. as far as like you're, you're primed for action, um, you know, because they've been running around and they've been, you know, elbowing each other and, you know, maybe a hard foul or something like that. And so deep breaths kind of calm your body down. And when you get out of your sympathetic nervous system back into your parasympathetic nervous system uh, or what some people call your social engagement kind of ability, uh, then you're, you're, like you said, your eyes actually uh, see clearer. Uh, you can actually read people's facial expressions and communication styles better. And so when you're out of that state, you can't read people's faces. And it's no wonder we get into miscommunication. Yes, yes. And the other part is your hearing actually changes is when you're in a fight or flight mode, your, list, your hearing shifts uh, to tonal frequencies for threat responses. And when you... Uh, go back into that social engagement system through these deep breathings and other kind of practices, then your 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 ears actually kind of shift to modulate to hear human language better again. And so you're yeah. literally, when you're in these kind of high activation responses, all you, the ability to hear and see go away. They're not as as acute uh, or or to see in a social kind of way. And so when we talk about seeing God, hearing from God, or seeing and hearing other people, yeah, just this is why it's always like calm, like breathe. You just need to breathe. That's yeah. what we tell people when they're panicking and things like that, right? Because, because it's so related to our ability to connect and relate to people. So, with a little bit of time we have left, uh, how how can we do this practically? If someone's like, yeah, yeah, I've heard about this contemplative prayer for years, and I have an aunt or a friend or my spouse does this, but I've never been able to get into it. Like, what would you say to them? How would you encourage them uh, in the next like first couple steps? Yeah, what I do is I start with scripture. Um, and my practice is really simple. I'm an Anglican priest. And so I'm, I love the creed, the apostles creed specifically. So I'll, I get up in the morning, my French press, uh, madcap French press, little promo there. Um, GR style. French, that's right. GR, I have it shipped here. Um, so I start with coffee, uh, as a, as a life should. Um, and, uh, I'll open this, I'll say the creed, um, and I'll open scripture and I'll just allow myself to be read by it. And I'll practice just reading a passage really slowly. Uh, typically, I love reading the words of Jesus. And so just allowing those truths to seep into my soul is really good. And then I'll just focus on a word from that. And then I will pray into it. 
And so I'm using words, I'm talking at God, I'm listening for God, all that stuff. But I eventually want to come to a clearing where I can peel back the onion another layer and say, okay, God, I meditated on your word. I remembered my story by saying the creed. Um, and I can give um, my concerns and worries to you and trust you with it. And now I just want to rest and be in your presence before I start my day. And what I'll do is there's an old prayer that I'll use called the Jesus prayer. And I just say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And so I'll inhale, Lord Jesus Christ, and I'll exhale, have mercy on me. And that's all I'll do for about 12 minutes or so. Um, and that's it. And I'll notice, you know, these that's when the imagery is helpful to put yourself on the raft or to go down to the ocean floor. Because what you're going to find is that there's going to be all sorts of distractions. And so have mercy on yourself that you are human and you will be distracted and it's part of it. And I will tell you this, like people are like, well, what happens? And um, there is typically like if I'll do a 20 minute sit, for example, um, for the first 19 minutes, I hate it. It's awful. <laughs> I just do. I hate it. And I've been doing this for a while. I hate it. But I'll tell you, there is this like glimmer that happens sometimes in like the 20th minute where I'll just sense connection with the God of the universe. It's the weirdest thing. And it's not like, oh, I got a word sometimes, right? I'm not opposed to that or got this crazy vision. It's just, you just feel enveloped and like, um, I, I don't know how to describe it other than you feel connected with something beyond yourself. And it is enough to make you feel like, why don't I do this more? Because mm. this is the, it's like a drug. It's like a supernatural drug that the divine spark comes into our midst and says, I'm with you and I see you and I love you. You're not alone. And it's just the most incredible thing. But it, I, I have to fight for it. And I think fighting for it isn't a way of earning it. I think what it says to me is that we are set up to not run in the kingdom stream. And so it takes a lot of upstream work for us to get back to the place that God originally designed us to be. And so I don't want to position this like, hey, if you do this for hard work for 19 minutes, then God will reward you. I think it, it just it's the have mercy on me. Part of the prayer is I am so bought into the cultural scripts and to the um, sort of ways of our society that it, it takes so much effort from me to get back to um, to the kingdom. And mm -hmm. but it's worth it every time because I'll get that glimpse and then it just sends me into my day. Um, facing whatever I need to face with courage and with delight. So, mm -hmm. Amen. Well, so if you are, you know, connected to the, the rat race of being a, you know, a human being in <laughs> this Western world, uh, if you struggle with anxiety, like contemplative prayer, uh, if you're overwhelmed with stress, contemplative prayer isn't like a cure-all kind of thing, but it, it, it does draw us into a deeper life. Uh, and, you know, and all the studies show that a religious and a contemplative life is has positive health, mental health benefits. Uh, that's just kind of clear over and over. And so, AJ, thanks so much for uh, being on today. Where can people find you or get connected with you? Yeah, AJSherald.org is a website that's easy to do that. But just I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. If you just look up, look up my name, then you will find me. And uh, uh, I would love to be friends, whatever that means in a social media world. Amen. Well, again, the book is Being with God, The Absurdity, Necessity, and Neurology of Contemplative Prayer. And as always, you can listen to this podcast wherever podcasts are, Spotify, uh, iTunes, there's podcast players. You can also watch 
uh, for some of you on uh, YouTube, uh, on Jeffrey, the channel for Jeffrey Holscloth. So check that out. Uh, AJ, again, thanks so much. And we should do this again sometime. Yeah, grace and peace, my brother. Amen. Thank you.